0: Um, Welcome to H2O. Um, Yeah, we're excited just to be continuing our series in the book of Acts. And one thing we want to say, too, uh, regardless of where you're at on your spiritual journey, if you're someone who would say you're a Christian or new to faith, um, we just want to say welcome. We're really excited that you're here, and uh, hopefully you can um, learn and grow as we learn and grow together from God's Word. And so today, like I said, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 And uh, this is a passage I hold pretty near and dear to my heart. It's when Paul is in Athens, Greece. And I think for a number of reasons, this passage has always just been so impactful to my life. um, And I think it's going to be impactful for us, too. Number one, because uh, we are in Athens, Ohio, not as beautiful as Athens, Greece, although it's very lovely here. And when um, our team um, was looking to plant this church, uh, this passage really spoke to us, and it was something that many of our staff team um, prayed over as we were praying about starting a new church here in Athens. And um, secondly, why uh, this passage really speaks to my heart is I've actually visited Athens, Greece. So before the pandemic, um, me and my family, we went to go visit um, Athens, Greece. It was very, very lovely, very fun. Um, And the places that uh, Paul visited, especially in this passage, I've actually been to. So I've been at the top of Mars Hill and the Areopagus, and it really does bring to light the passages of scripture. And I would encourage you if ever get a chance as this pandemic's coming to an end to go to Europe or go to Athens or Rome or um, Israel, definitely do it. It's a great opportunity um, just to know too, as you're reading your Bibles, that these are real people who experienced real things and had a real impact on the world. And so there'll be a couple little um, tidbits and things that I learned when I was there that I think will help us really see this passage in a really new light, too. So, um, so along with that, too, the, the main theme of this passage is Paul's going to be speaking to the people of Athens about this God that they don't know about yet, that they're a very religious group of people, but they don't know about the God of the Bible. And that Paul is going to share with them about this unknown God. And this is really something that we as a church want to model. We want to help make the God of the universe known to this campus and to this city. And so if you want to flip open your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. If you don't have your Bibles, that's totally fine. You can read along on the screen as I share. But um, before we dive into, we're going to be in verse twenty-two. Just to kind of set the scene for us to kind of know what's happening here, Paul goes to Athens. He's on his uh, missionary journeys, and he's visiting many places in the ancient world, and he makes a stop in Athens. And one thing that the passage kind of lays out is that Paul's spirit when he was in Athens was very provoked because he saw the city was full of idols. Now, historians and scholars talk about this, that the Athenian um, idol worship was very prevalent. One number I saw said there, there were 30,000 idols in Athens alone. And I don't know if that's true, but I think that's, it just goes to show that this was something that they really did in their culture. And this is something for us as modern people that is kind of hard to connect to. We don't see this very often where people are walking down East State Street and, you know. Uh, passing incense and worshiping um, idols made of stone or clay. We don't really see this happening. But in this time, the, the Athenians were very superstitious. And so if you were a sailor, you would uh, worship a uh, god that would help you get to safe travels. If you were heading into war, you would worship the god of war. If you were praying for a good harvest, you would worship um, the god of that. And if you were praying for a child, same thing. And, and you would do this as a way to receive blessing from the gods. It was a transactional Relationship or a quid pro quo, where people would say, hey, I'm going to sacrifice this goat to this god, or I'm going to light this incense or give this money to its temple, and then I expect a return on my investment, that this god would bless me somehow. And again, it was a very transactional relationship. There was no deeper abiding relationship that happened in this idol worship. And I was trying to think of some modern examples, I think, where this can happen today. There's many, but one, one of the modern examples that I was thinking of, when I was in high school, I played a little high school football, and I don't know if this was your case, but before each game, our team would huddle together, and we would get on one knee, and we would pray, and we would say either like, our Father, or Lord's Prayer, or Hail Mary. And it was interesting because I knew many of our teammates, and they didn't necessarily believe in God, or worship God, or anything like that. But for some reason, in this moment, everybody was praying and it was almost like we're going to do this just to hopefully get victory in, in, our, in our game. And, and I saw it in other examples, too, where I was in some math classes in college, and I used to joke with my friends that there's no atheists in a calc exam, right? Everybody's praying to, that they would succeed in that exam that they didn't really study for. You know, Lord, help me. Um, everybody did that sort of thing. And if you kind of think of that, that's basically what these people did in their daily lives. It was a transactional relationship with these gods. But here's the thing, the God of the Bible is not a transactional God. He's not a quid pro quo God. He wants a relationship with you. In fact, we believe that every human being is is made with this God-shaped hole in your heart. And we try to fill that hole with many different things, but the only thing that can truly satisfy you is a relationship with the God who made you and loves you. And we believe as Christians that God is our Father, that He loves you like a good parent loves his, their kids. Like our God loves you. And so this is why Paul's heart was provoked, because he saw these people were worshiping the, these idols that weren't real, and he saw that they needed to come to know the one true God, the only God that could satisfy their hearts. And so Paul is beginning to share with some Jewish leaders in Athens and begins talking to some uh, Athenian philosophers, and they were fascinated by the things he had to say. And they talked about how he seemed to be preaching about these foreign divinities and talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And and they were interested in hearing more. And so they took him to what's called the Areopagus or Mars Hill. It's this big rock, and they wanted to hear what he had to say. And it's funny because the passage talks about how the Athenians, um, spent all day long just talking about new ideas. And it's funny, having visited Greece, they still do this today. I, I, we would walk around different coffee shops, and there would be like a bunch of old men smoking cigarettes all day long, playing cards, just talking about different ideas. Now, this is probably why their economy is a sham, but that's a whole other story for a different day. But they still do this today, and it's, it's a part of their culture. And so they took him to Mars Hill, which was, again, this big rock, kind of in the middle of everything. And this was, in, in their sense, it was the podcasting or the YouTube of their day where they would hear and discuss ideas. And it's interesting, like I said, this Mars Hill doesn't seem that significant on its own. I remember when we visited and I was like, "Oh, this is it. But when you actually stand at the top of the hill, it's literally right next to the Parthenon right next to all the idols of ancient Greece, and it overlooks what's called the Agora, which was the marketplace. And so it really is the center of Athens. It really is, in a lot of ways, a place where people would gather, and they'd have court cases, and they would discuss things at the Areopagus. And so this is a very important moment for Paul, and a chance to really speak to almost the whole city of Athens about this god. And so Paul begins, and we'll jump into the passage in verse 22, sharing with them something that will change their lives. And really, historically, too, this passage and this speech really changed everything, the course of everything, in Athens and in the ancient world. And so verse 22, Paul begins his message by saying, "'Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship,' I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What you therefore worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So we'll pause there. So Paul begins to share with the Athenians, and he he says, hey, I notice you guys are very religious, and you have all these different idols that you worship, and he shares with them, I saw this one inscription to this idol, to the unknown God. And so, what the ancient world, what they would do, because they had so many um, uh, gods that they would worship, they uh, put up this inscription, which uh, I have a photo of here. It's not the uh, inscription, but it's it's an example of something that they would set up to the unknown god. And so, again, they had they had thousands of gods that they worshipped, and so in order to not offend potentially a god that they didn't know, they would set up this inscription to the unknown god, so that they could say, "Hey." unknown God, if, if he was mad or she was mad, uh, we did set up an idol to you. We just didn't know your name. We just didn't know who you are, but we worshiped you just like any other God, just to continue to receive blessing. And so Paul is kind of taking this example and showing them, actually, there's a far greater unknown God that you don't even know. He's far greater than any of the gods that you already currently worship. And he he has a greater desire and plan for your life that you don't even know about. And so it's really interesting how he starts this message. And so he continues on and talks about this unknown God and really lays out his power in verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods to the boundaries of their dwelling place and that they should seek God and perhaps find their way towards him. And so Paul begins to list out what, who this God is, and he says, this God is creator, he created everything in the world. He is the sustainer of life. He is the ruler of all nations. He is above anything that you can imagine. He is far greater than anything you can imagine. And in fact, too, we come from him. He's the father of all humanity. And he, he, he basically is saying that the way you are worshiping isn't right, that there is actually a God that you are, are, need to be aware of. And he is making himself known to you. And next what he does, starting the next path, uh, section of verse 27, he begins to share with them that this God has actually been already making himself known to these people. And he says in verse 27, yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." And so he actually lays out, this is actually some Athenian poetry and text, and and pointing this out to them, saying that there's been something that's already been happening in your history, that you've already been seeking this God, you just don't even know it. And continuing in verse 29, he says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. And so we'll stop there. And so Paul's basically saying, again, this isn't a God that you can just make a stone of or you can make a temple of. He is far greater than that. He doesn't live in any of your temples. He is beyond those things. And then continuing in verse 30, he says, the time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so Paul is saying that this God is both judge and rescuer, that there, there, was, there was a time where God wasn't as focused on the rest of the world, but now he is. And now he's calling all people to repent, to turn to him, to turn away from their sin and follow this God. And it's interesting when you begin to see the response to this message, because some people mocked it. Some people said, no way we we prefer to worship the way we worship we're not going to we're not going to pursue this we like the way that we currently live yeah it's difficult i don't have all my an- questions answered but this is this is what i'm going to do and they continue to live the way they were living and some people wanted to hear more maybe they were in a spot where they felt like they could make a decision which was which was totally great but they were just curious and said man something's tugging on my heart i want to hear more about this i just need i have more questions and i, I want to discuss this more And some people, when they heard this message, said, This is it. This is what I've been looking for. I have this hole in my heart, and now I have found the God that made me and cares for me and wants a relationship with me. You know, it's interesting um, when you hear stories of missionaries uh, overseas. I heard this one story where um, these group of missionaries were sharing uh, Jesus with this one tribe, and this one tribe said, Wow, this is incredible. I I feel like I always knew there was a God like this. I just didn't know his name. And just like that realization that, wow, my eyes are open. Now I can see that this is the God that was speaking to me or meeting with me. And this is happening all around the world, and it's happening here, too, that people need to know who this unknown God is because it can transform every area of your life. And as, as I was thinking about this passage, and as I was thinking about ways to apply this text, because we want to read a text, we want to talk about it, dissect it, but we want you to really understand how this text can apply to your life today, because I think it can have significant impact on your life and the way you look at the world. And I think the main thing that I walked away from this uh, was this, that, and this is just something that we need to know, that we still live in a world full of idols. We still live in a world full of idols. And, you know, there's a great book out that came a few years ago. It's called Counterfeit Gods. I would encourage you to check it out. Really excellent book. And it, and it talks about how, although we don't currently worship the Greek pantheon, as it were, we still worship what those gods represented, right? Those, all those gods were just figures to point to what people really wanted. They would worship the god of money and success because they wanted money and success. And that was just a way to get those things. And what the book kind of lays out is that an idol can be anything. An idol can be a good thing that we can turn into an ultimate thing. Simply put, an idol um, can be anything we put ahead of God. It can be that one thing. If you don't get it, it'll break you. It'll break you. And yes, we may not burn offerings of incest to Aphrodite, but we can for sure put a lot of stock into meeting someone to fulfill your emotional and sexual needs, just like the ancients did. And we can put a lot of stock into how people view us and, and our identity in those things. You know, in, being a college ministry, I, I joke with uh, a lot of new students that come to college, and specifically freshmen, and uh, it's, it's just a playful joke. But I think what I've observed with freshmen that come to college, there's a lot of stock and expectation that people put on themselves when they get to college to find their one person or the person they're going to marry in their life. And there's that pressure on you. And oftentimes, I'll be in conversations with people, and they'll say, well, my goal is to meet the person I'm going to marry by my second semester being in college because then we're going to have to date a couple years, and then we're going to get engaged. And then by the time I graduate, we got to get married, and then we got to get a house, and there's this pressure that they put on themselves. And oftentimes, jokingly, I'll I'll say, which this is true too, I'll say, you know what? You might be single when you're 22. You might be, you might have already broken up with the person you're currently with by the time you graduate college. You might be single when you're 23, 24, 28, 33. And guess what? You're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. And I know the way you're all looking at me, there's something that's hitting your heart right now. So we're just going <laughs> to relax for a second, okay? <laughs> Let's cut the tension. It's okay. Um, it's going to be okay, it's going to be fine. And, and, and you know what happens as you get older? You begin to realize it's not just about getting married, it's about who you marry. And and, and looking for a person that can fit in the character that you're looking for. And oftentimes what happens, though, too, is the idol kind of shifts as people get 24, 25, and it becomes career. And it becomes, man, I got to continue to make more and more and more money. I got to buy a house, got to buy a nice car, and try to keep up with that career goals that you've set for yourselves. And then the next step is kids. Well, I want to make sure my kids are are doing the best they can, and their success speaks to me as a parent. And that that pressure that we put on ourselves and an idol is something that you can give uh, your sense of self-worth, significance, and value. But here's the thing. Again, these, idols, these things can be good, but if they become an ultimate thing, it can be an idol. If you don't get that thing, does it break you? Does it affect who you are? If you end up being single at 30, will you be angry at God? Will you be angry at others? Will you feel like you failed as a person? I'm not going to say it is an idol, but it's looking more and more like an idol. And we need to be aware of this. And if um, one thing that the book talks about, uh, Counterfeit Gods, it says, if we look to some created things to give us meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. If we continue to go down that path and put our hope in these idols, it will fail you. Another way to determine is this an idol in my life? Where do you turn when life is tough? Do you go to food when you have a really bad day? Do you go to that that bottle that you've been sipping at the last few weeks when you know you're having a rough time? Do you go to pornography? What is it in your life that you go to to um, medicate the pain that you're going through in your life? It's an idol. And we've got to be aware of that, that those things cannot fill what is going on in our hearts. Only the God who made you and loves you and wants a relationship with you can fully satisfy your heart's desire. You were made for that. He created you for that. And like a good father who loves his kids, he wants to bless you and he wants to give you the ultimate joy. Not just his stuff, him. He wants to give you him. Sure, you could spend... Two hours a day in the gym, getting your body perfectly fit and put together. But guess what? I know people who are in that space who've done that. You're not going to be happy even if you achieve those goals. There's always going to be a greater hill to climb. There's always going to be more you could be doing. We've got to be aware that these idols will distract us and hurt our joy. Where we receive real joy is turning to Christ, to submitting to him giving your everything to him and he will satisfy you. And for us as Christians, you know, th- this is something that we can still fall into. Even though we've said Jesus is first, sometimes we'll say Jesus is first and then also something else too. But that doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. The Bible talks about how God is a jealous God. And when we hear that word jealousy, we think that sounds sinful, but no, the jealousy that God is, is it would be like a husband and a wife. And if the husband started cheating around on the wife, the wife would naturally feel jealous, right? Because she has devoted her life to this man and committed her life to him. She would feel jealous if he was pursuing other women. Well, in the same way, God is a jealous God for us that he knows, he loves us so much, he knows our ultimate satisfaction and peace comes with fully submitting to him. And if we pursue these other idols, it breaks his heart because he cares for you, because he knows it hurts you. And so we, we have to be aware of this, Christians, that when we pursue God, we've got to be constantly aware and, gar- and checking our hearts, are we pursuing other things in addition to him? Because all those other things will fail and fall away, but our, our love of God will always sustain us. And if we're pursuing Jesus' as number one and our number one satisfaction, we actually enjoy him more when we receive good things. In your family, if you're, if you're aware that God is number one, You can enjoy God more in your family by worshiping him in that space and being thankful for him in your marriage, in your work, and seeing all those things as joy and worship to him. That's where you get full satisfaction when you submit your life to him and say, Jesus, you're number one. You're my most important thing. And allowing him to fill every area of your life. And so often some of us want to hold things back. Hold things back before we give it to Him, but God is a God we can trust, and He cares for you, and He wants you to know Him. And I know for me, when I examine my life and my heart, sometimes, man, comfort and security are kind of the things that I struggle with, and they can be idols in my life that I can, if I'm not aware of, they will consume me if I'm not careful. And I have to be prayerful. I have to have people in my life praying for me. And I have to open up my life and say, man, this is kind of a struggle for me right now. I worry, I stay up at night worrying about the security of my family or things like that. And I have to be diligent with that. And so for you, what, what, what's the idol for you? What's the thing for you in your life that you feel like, man, if this didn't happen, I'd be really upset. Or I'd be really angry. Maybe give that to the Lord and pray that God would help you in that space. And again, like I shared just a couple examples, but this has really been my story. You know, I, I grew up in, I think, a very healthy Christian home, um, but as I was growing up, um, seeking the approval of others was a big thing for me. And so what began to happen in my life was I started to live a double life, where I was one person at church, another person around my school friends, and that really began to consume me. And I began to speak differently, live differently, act differently. And when I got to college, and I started meeting with this, this friend of mine, he started to share with me about his own idols in his life, and he was a guy that played football uh, for Bowling Green, and he talked about how he got injured his senior year, and he realized, wow, I have an idol in my life. I've been all about football, and when this was taken away, I had to rediscover that that's not my identity. My identity is in Christ. And, and as we were talking about this, I began to share with him, I said, you know, I've noticed, Rob, that sometimes we as human beings can act differently around certain groups of people depending on the situation. And he said to me, well, you know, Joe, I don't know if that's true because if you're a follower of Christ, you should be the same around everybody, where your life should reflect Jesus in every area of your life. And for me, that was like, oh, man, wow. It kind of opened my eyes to the idols that I've had in my life. And through that journey, I realized, wow. Jesus, I want to look like you. I want to become more like you, that anyone who meets me could see I've got no mask on. I'm just a follower of you, and I want to look like you in every area of my life. And so that was the journey I went on. And maybe you've got a similar story where God showed you something, or maybe you're experiencing something right now in your gut and that the Lord is speaking to you. And we, we would encourage you to talk to somebody about that. Number one, talk to God about that. Pray and ask him for clarity and guidance on that. And then number two, talk to, some, talk to your group leader or talk to someone around here who would love to share with you some of the burdens they've gone through because we need one another as we're seeking to look more and more like Jesus. And so as we close today, the big question that we want to ask ourselves, and I'll, I'll have two questions, so don't get that slide up yet, but um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, how are you going to respond to this message? How are you going to respond to this? You know, the Greeks in this passage, some people rejected it. And are you in a place where you're like, eh, I don't want this. I like the way I'm living. I'm probably not ever going to come back to this church again. Hey, it's fine if that's you. No, no shame there. Um, we would encourage you to the very least say, I want to hear more. I want to hear more about this. I want to be in a place where I'm engaging with this and something's tugging on my heart. I don't know what that is, but man, we would encourage you to just say, man, I want to hear more. Or maybe you're in a place, like some of the people that Paul talked to in this passage, where finally the unknown God has been clear, made clear to you. And maybe today is a chance to say, I'm tired of running from him. I'm tired of putting other things ahead of him. I'm ready to follow him with my life and to cast aside all other idols and to submit to him. And so as we close, two questions to think about as we close in worship. Number one is this, really ask yourself you're in this time of worship, what are the idols in my life? What are those things? Maybe I listed one of them or maybe I didn't. What are the idols that you've been putting ahead of God in your life? And then two, are you ready to turn to God and surrender these idols to him, to make him number one? And if, if you do that, you will find full satisfaction and full joy. Not more material things, Not more none of that, but you'll, have, you'll be oriented in the way you were created to be in relationship with your God and in healthy relationship with others. And so we'll meditate on that as we um, pray and as we worship. And so um, you can bow your heads with me and I'll pray as the band comes up. Lord, we just are so thankful just to be here and just to be engaging with your word. And we thank you for, um, yeah, the book of Acts and all the things we have to learn through the journeys of Paul and the faith of these Christians. Lord, help us to be in a space where we're receptive to this word and to be made aware too, what are the idols in our lives? What are the things we're putting ahead of you or we're trying to add to you? Lord, help us to be in a place where we can come to you and not try to fix our lives before coming to you, just come to you as we are And trust that your gospel will transform and change every area of our lives. And so we're thankful just to be here to worship you and to experience you in a powerful way, Lord. And so we pray you're with us and you guide us um, as we go about our weeks and as we continue to seek to grow, to look more and more like you, Jesus. Speak to us through this text and this worship today. Pray all this in your name. Amen.